Hey folks, and welcome back. On this week's episode at the tail end of November, which is Men's Health Month, we address an issue that's both important to me and also something I've personally experienced, testicular cancer. I'll be talking with Mike Craycraft, a testicular cancer survivor, clinical pharmacist, and founder of the Testicular Cancer Society, an organization that he currently leads from right here in Ohio, in the mighty city of Cincinnati. On the episode, Mike and I talk about a wide range of subjects, including his story with testicular cancer, why and how he founded the organization, the state of trends, research, and treatment for testicular cancer, and his efforts to promote health education around the country, but also here in Ohio, where we still lack statewide health education standards. I really enjoyed talking with Mike, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. This is Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. As always, before turning to my conversation with today's guest, I'd like to remind you to please share your ideas for show themes or interviews by emailing us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, check out our website at prognosisohio.com, which we've been spiffying up a little bit over the last few weeks. And if you like what you see, please consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio patron for just $3 a month. Thanks so much to our new Patreons, whose support is helping to defray the many accumulating costs required to put out a show like this, without burdening listeners with boring ads about sketchy supplement pills or CBD products. If you haven't seen the cool new t-shirts we now have available, please do, and know that all patrons now receive one when they sign up. To support the show, please visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio patron. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Okay, now to my conversation with Mike Craycraft of the Testicular Cancer Society. Mike Craycraft, testicular cancer survivor, clinical pharmacist, and founder of the Testicular Cancer Society. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks for having me today, Dan. Yeah, you and I have uh, bantered a bit on. Twitter over the years and, and other social media. Um, you know, I'm a cancer survivor, a testicular cancer survivor. You are as well. But also, I've had a keen interest in the uh, Testicular Cancer Society, not only because of that connection, but because you also happen to be an Ohioan. So that was always a, a, a nice um, thing for me to learn when I came here to Ohio. Um, you know, and I, I wanted to just start by having you talk a little bit about you know, your, your story, your experience. I've talked about mine a little bit on this show, but let's start with the personal piece, which is, you know, what was your experience like with testicular cancer? Sure. So uh, I'm Cincinnati born and raised, so certainly a, an Ohioan. Uh, but at the time I was living down in South Florida uh, and it was October of 20 or 2005, right after Hurricane Wilma. And a friend had called to see if I made it okay through the hurricane and with no AC I went to sit down on the couch and just adjust myself, uh, similar to you see baseball players doing 100 times a game, and suddenly felt a lump. And so I immediately hung up on my friend, knew in my mind that it was testicular cancer, but then really entered a, a vicious cycle of denial, not wanting to upset others or fear even, and ended up staying silent for seven months before I ever went in and saw my doctor and said, hey, you know, I have a problem. Yeah. And, you know, we know that a lot of these stories fan out that way, right? I mean, the, the most famous one being Lance Armstrong, who similarly uh, deferred, you know, any kind of uh, treatment or, you know, even going to a physician for a long time. Yeah. As a healthcare professional, I mean, looking back, it was really a ridiculous uh, way to handle it. Um, I, I, in my mind, I knew it was cancer. In my mind, it had metastasized. In my mind, I was going to 
die from metastatic disease to such a point that I came back to Cincinnati that Thanksgiving and secretly threw my own going away party, uh, invited all my friends and family and didn't tell them why I was having a party, but figured that in a month or two, they'd hear the news and realize it was my feeble attempt to see everybody one last time. You just kind of said, I'm going to have a party for something and didn't tell anybody. I mean, what were you thinking during that whole experience? You kind of looking around at people thinking it was the end? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it was kind of tough. I mean, I, I literally sat down and made peace with the fact that I was going to pass away from metastatic testis cancer and realized that I'd had a great life. I was single. Um, I didn't, you know, have really any worries in the world. I'd been a pharmacist since I was 22 years old and, and not to sound like a martyr, but figured statistically it has to happen to somebody. Why not me? And it really, I mean, for seven months, I ended up living like I was dying. And uh, the mental anguish when I got done looking back was like, why didn't I just go to the doctor in October? It would have been yeah. so much easier. Yeah, it wasn't that big a deal at the end of the day, right? I mean, that was my experience too, although I, I had a certain, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on and um, did go see a doctor pretty quickly. I learned on a long plane ride that something was wrong and called my physician actually from the airport on a uh, connection flight. So certainly, you know, I jumped to it a bit quicker than you did, but the mental sort of processing of it um, for any kind of cancer, but testicular cancer as well, uh, you know, is it's super interesting, kind of the crazy things we do inside of our minds um, when we should probably just go talk to a doctor. Yeah. What, you know, the biggest thing that was one of my issues was not wanting to upset others. Right. So I was coming home for Thanksgiving. How do I say, you know, happy Thanksgiving, I have cancer or, you know, Merry Christmas, I have cancer, happy New Year's, I have cancer. And that was my dad's 60th birthday in January. Oh, happy birthday, pops, your son has cancer. So really it wasn't as much my fear, but the fear of upsetting others by telling them that really kept me from going to the doctor. That, and I would feel the lump, you know, at night, and then I wouldn't feel it in the morning. Um, it was just uh, somewhat denial, too. I would, you know, not remember to call the doctor until lunchtime when the office is closed. And, okay, after lunch, I'm going to call today. And then I wouldn't remember until after the office was closed at five. How convenient. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty funny how the mind can work sometimes. You know, I've talked um, on this show and other shows uh, where I've talked about my own testicular cancer experience, just on the lighter side of things. I mean, just the prevalence of, you know, ball jokes in our society and, you know, you know, whether it's in the, in the movies or on, you know, c comedy shows or whatever. I mean, do you think that in a way this was specifically about testicular cancer and talking about balls, talking about testicles, or do you think it was just about cancer in general? I mean, is it, you, you give the example of your, your father's 60th birthday, you know, was it like in some way about the specifics of this or just in general, the mortality question? It really was in general. I, I mean, for me, and I think it's probably easier for me as a healthcare professional, the part of the body affected wasn't a big deal. Um, I just had the whole mentality of, well, after this, I'll go to the doctor. After that, um, then I'd have friends saying, I'm going to, you know, veil to go skiing. Well, can I go? Thinking in my mind, this is my last chance to ever go snow skiing because I'm going to die. Um, and so, well, after that trip, I'll go. And so it just became this perpetual cycle of, of delaying. Um, 
and, and even once the process started, um, I really waited until after my pathology was confirmed because I didn't want to be that guy to have a test score move and have the pathology come back as benign. So that, that was the only body part specific. Um, but once it was confirmed, I literally was standing on top of tables yelling, hey, I just had testicular cancer. Um, so... So how did the Testicular Cancer Society come about that? I mean, you know, many people turn their experiences with disease into opportunities to give back, to bring awareness. You took a pretty big step in founding this organization. You know, how did that come about? Why, why was your thinking, hey, you know, let me found a, a society? Well, I, I thought, well, so I was diagnosed in 2006, and there weren't a lot of uh, options for guys with testicular cancer, and what resources were out there were very hard to find. By the time 2008 came around, it was kind of the, the blow up of social media, and there were message boards and groups everywhere, and you, you would get somewhere and find out that there were eight previous testicular cancer survivors there, the last one a year previous. And so I thought, you know, based on my experience as a survivor, my knowledge as a healthcare professional, what if I formed a society where if we could at least get the guys to come to us, we could show them what resources are out there already and then learn from their needs and be able to <clears throat> create solutions um, to meet the needs that weren't available for them. And organizationally, I mean, how did you start? I mean, what, what, like, I, I can't even imagine just kind of how you get an operation like that up and running. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, so I originally started it in Florida. It's pretty simple. You just filed with the Secretary of State. Um, and then between 2008 and uh, really 2009, I was back and forth between South Florida and Cincinnati. And so I ended up in 2010 uh, reformulating it in Ohio and then getting our 501c3 basis out of that, which was a lot of paperwork and unfortunately having to, to hire lawyers to, to do the paperwork for you, but it all worked out in the end. So I, I also just want to mention, I mean, one of the things that jumps out to me when I go to your website, which we will be you know, linking to in the show notes for the, for the episode, um, your logo is pretty wild, right? So, and listeners should know. So basically the main crux is it's two purple balls tied together with a, you know, one of those familiar cancer ribbons. Um, how did you come up with that logo? I, it jumps out at me. So we actually just went through a rebranding. Uh, our previous logo was a capital letter T, uh, which had a dot on the top of it like a head, and then two yellow balls with C and S in it. Um, and last year, we uh, became partners uh, with the company Manscaped, if you're familiar with them, the men's yeah. grooming company. Uh, and they really helped us in, in rebranding. I mean, we've been doing the same thing for years and years. So they really have helped us uh, rebrand, relaunch a website, all that kind of stuff. So we love the design. It's not too difficult to figure out what our mission is about when you see our logo. So. Of course, yeah, for me, and I don't know other situations, but <laughs> having had an orchiectomy, you know, I see the two balls and I think, oh, well, that's in a way that's an, an orchiectomy being the removal of one of your testicles. You know, that's an interesting logo for an organization where so many people might be one down, right? But that the idea is that you're also skewing towards wellness and prevention in this case. Right, certainly. So, you know, uh, while some of the greatest work we do are with those diagnosed, uh, really the key is making sure that the young, healthy population is aware of testicular cancer, how to monitor for it. So if they do come across it, that it's detected early. Uh, so certainly uh, it's kind of two different markets, so to speak. 
So, so you know, in education, let, let's turn to that because um, this is one of the major focuses of your organization, and it's super important. Um, we've talked on this show, for example, and there's a lot of outrage, at least among you know public health and healthcare people in my world, um, that Ohio is one of the few states, maybe the only state, I, I, but certainly one of the few states that does not. Not only do we not have statewide health education standards for our schools, but Ohio law prohibits the state board of education to adopt standards, right? So it's a real outrage from the perspective of trying to help kids to know basic things they can do, you know, with regard to their health. But also, you know, it's it's a bit of a particular problem because testicular cancer, and listeners should know, is one of these cancers that affects younger people disproportionately. So I've the stats that I've looked at by the time you're, you know, late 30s, you're increasingly like unlikely to encounter testicular cancer, although certainly, you know, it's it's not zero. Um, how does your organization, I mean, where do you fall on this? What kind of work are you doing with education? What do you want to see happen? We could talk about Ohio, but also we could talk about, you know, elsewhere as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a difficult subject. Um, I mean, I'll be quite honest. If, if I go to a high school and say, hey, we want to come in and speak about testicular cancer, usually we get looked at like, you want to talk about what? Um, first off, second because of all, I think it's, I mean, somehow talking about the body or because it's, uh, what, what's the holdup there? I think there's just some negative stigma around testicles themselves. If that, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't think it's much different than where we were with breast cancer 30 years ago. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, breast cancer was able to overcome that stigma, but I think it's something that we still face. I'm going to give you a deep cut here. So I don't know if you remember this, but I do. On the show Family Ties, that old uh, sitcom, uh, Meredith Baxter Burney, uh, I forget the character's name that she played, but there was an episode where they showed her breast because she had breast cancer on the show. And it was this like outrage. This is scandal that on TV they showed, they showed, uh, you know, Meredith Baxter Burney's breast. And I, I mean, that's just a little bit of a window into kind of some of the struggles in doing that. I think we've come some distance on television, but not in Ohio schools, it seems. Well, yeah, the Today Show does a testicular self-exam thing every once in a while. And it's a, you know, kind of a a joke behind curtains. Uh, And Dr. Steele in the UK has been doing live with real models on one of their morning shows, testicular exams. He's been doing it for years. I think the first one was like 1990. Um, And here we are 2020 and you know, we're still behind exam curtains making jokes about it. So, so I mean, in your mind, you know, you go into a school. Um, h- how do we crack this? I mean, is it is it just a destigmatization of? I mean, are are there cancers being talked about? Uh, you know, in, in, with schools, or is it is it just a resistance to health being discussed in schools and generally, or do you, do you think it really is about certain kinds of cancers? I mean, we don't talk about colorectal cancer very much in our society either. So certainly you know, it skews in different ways. Right, right. For years, we teamed up with a breast cancer organization up in Fairfield, Connecticut, and would go up there and lecture to local schools. And they were really in the schools already. And many of the schools, because they separated the the guys and girls and were like, hey, we don't mind you talking about breast cancer to the girls, but the guys have nothing to do. So they brought us in. And it was a really wonderful symbiotic partnership. Uh, But I noticed the first couple of years, even when I was there, like, I was constantly being monitored and I'm not a paranoid person. I even brought it up at lunch one day. I'm like, this is the third year I've been here. Like, <laughs> it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm here to, 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 
it's just a stigma around it. I guess the easiest way to say it. Yeah. No, just talk, just talking about the body. I mean, it's one of the things that I had to get used to when I first started working at a medical school. And I'm guessing as a healthcare professional yourself, you, you, you've been long over this, but you know, it's just, people talking about their bodies in blunter ways than I was used to certainly when I was teaching, you know, in a political science department. Right. Um, but that was really uh, relieving, you know, to not have to worry about hiding what's going on. And I think if we could talk about a lot of different things, I mean, addiction and mental health are certainly going through this now. Athletes have been really important in saying things like I have an, ad- I, I battle addiction or athletes, you know, or other, you know, well-known people who can de- do that work of destigmatizing. I think of Bob Dole back in the day with the erectile dysfunction ads, right? right? Right. And I think it was Pele as well was doing those with him. And and of course, in testicular cancer, I mean, did so Lance Armstrong's, a, you know, a controversial guy in many ways. And like, we've dissected this story of Lance and all that, but did that not open this question up enough? Uh, or is it just because it's a bit old now? I don't think it necessarily opened it up enough. Um, you know, and Lance's big focus overall with his organization was, was cancer in general. Uh, it was life after diagnosis, so it wasn't specific to testicular cancer. Um, you know, we, we just found, like, going back to Ohio, there, when I looked, there was like 975 high schools in Ohio. And so if you're banging your head against each door, it's very difficult and time-consuming. And then how do you get people in there? Because schools are open when other survivors are at work. We can't even have them go in and talk. And so, you know, we really look at how do we reach the kids where the kids are? Uh, so we developed a mobile app. We have a, a, you know, a text reminder program. We are on all sorts of social media platforms. So uh, we've tried to figure out if we can't get invited in, then how can we find those that need educated where they are? Which is really interesting because that's how we've navigated all sorts of things that are stigmatized in our society. You know, I think of LGBTQ folks who live in, and kids in particular, who live in rural areas and really couldn't find social cohorts, people to talk to. And then the internet came around and provided these spaces they could go to. So it's a little bit of like, like searching for things, uh, um, you know, um, in secret, right? And you noted to me, and I wonder if you could just tell, I wonder if there's a quick version of this story, but you mentioned to me offhand and I didn't look it up that there's been this issue with Google uh, disallowing or, or something r- with regard to search limitations for testicular cancer? Is, <clears throat> excuse me. It's not necessarily search limitation, limitations. So we would do uh, national and Ohio-specific consumer uh, surveys every year via Google. So like when you go to a news site and it says, have you ever heard of these brands? That's basically the platform. And so for four years, we did it and we're starting to get real good numbers. In the fifth year, all of a sudden, they rejected all of our surveys, sent our money back uh, and argued with them back and forth for weeks. And they suddenly decided that, that you could not ask questions, even though prefaced with, do you mind if, if we ask you a medical question, that you couldn't ask a question involving external genitalia. And so they would not allow us to ask anything about testicular cancer, uh, which was really frustrating. It's like, it's cancer. It's that's, and that's the thing we want to know about. (laughs) Yeah, it was extremely frustrating. And, and I even quoted that the head of Google, um, you know, had said that artificial intelligence was going to uh, save our, our, you know, or cure cancer. And, And so I was like, you know, he was actually really right because evidently, the human intelligence makes decisions like this where you can't ask questions. So we need to bypass that. 
And if you're having this kind of challenge with testicular cancer, I'm guessing penile cancer is a total non-starter in this world. Then. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, to be to be quite honest. So, you know, in most areas of healthcare, um, you know, we find health disparities and this is glaringly true in Ohio. We have massive racial disparities, for example, in infant mortality. Um, we've talked on this show about racial disparities, especially um, in breast cancer treatment um, and, but really everything, you know, mental health, addiction services, you know, are, are there disparities that are worth pulling out a little bit with testicular cancer um, along racial or other kinds of lines that are worth noting? Yeah, I mean, certainly. So the the outcomes in African-Americans, the mortality rate is about twice that that you see in, in the Caucasian race. Um, Hispanics also don't tend to do as well. And unfortunately, the rate in the Hispanic population is dramatically increasing, where by 2026, it will outpace uh, the Caucasian rate, uh, which typically testicular cancer was thought of as, as a Caucasian uh, disease predominantly. <clears throat> so there are some challenges. There was a recent uh, data out of UT Southwestern that showed that they overcame the disparities in the Hispanic population. And um, what was interesting is it was based on two different hospitals in their system, but it was oversight by the same doctors. So mm-hmm. it was it, it was that if you give these patients the, the, the right care, um, you can change their outcomes so that it's not based on their zip code, if that makes sense. Yeah. And are, are there any notable uh, you know, Hispanic or African-American testis cancer survivors who talk about this? I mean, w- to call attention to the issue? Not really, to be honest. A lot of survivors don't speak out much at all. Um, sometimes that's good because they've had it stage one disease. They've moved on with their life, which is perfect. If that could happen to every guy, then our mission is fulfilled. Um, but there aren't any real huge spokespeople out there. And what, what about LGBTQ? And I'm also interested in knowing specifically within the transgender community, is there a specific outreach to transgender folks, especially those who you know, uh, identify in a, in a way that might be different than their assigned sex um, at birth? <clears throat> There's not a, a specific outreach. Uh, we're certainly open to that. I actually wrote up a case report a couple of years ago to present at a conference and then totally messed up because it was a young adult conference and the patient was older, but it was a case of uh, reassignment surgery and they sent the testicles of pathology and and found out that she actually had testicular cancer at the time of surgery, uh, which was a unique situation. Um, You know, there are some needs out there, especially the thought being instead of someone uh, has uh, like genital dysmorphic uh, issues that they may not even want to do a self-exam, but there also isn't a whole bunch of data out there either, you know, to really give specific numbers. But it, it certainly is a population that that we try to outreach to. It's just also how exactly do we go about that? Right. Yeah. Just collecting data on a lot of transgender health issues can be challenging. And it's something that actually many disease, uh, disease-focused disease organizations and research teams go through just trying to find people to talk to, right? Yeah, it's uh, we've been doing some small things here and there. I mean, you know, our goal is if we could just reach everybody, then <laughs> perfect, right. um, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, that's every organization's uh, holy grail, right? Right. <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, and 
from what what I gather, you're a uh, you know pretty lean operation, right? You're not you don't have the uh, the um, heft of of Komen and all the other organizations, you know, the, in terms of bringing attention. So um, I'm sure you have to also um, you, you know really think about where to put resources for high impact. And it, it seems to me that education is a really key one, but it'll also, also be nice to signal. It, it, it concerned me, for example, when you mentioned those schools separating out uh, girls and boys, you know, uh, of, which is a very unproblematic um, and outdated way of thinking about health and thinking about, um, you know, gender identity and all that. So um, you've got to get to all of those kids. Yeah. By the time you're in high school, if you don't know what testicles and breasts are, then there's an educational problem in general. I don't see why there's any reason to separate, but we were just lucky to get our, our foot in the door. So, you know, yeah. it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like the problem there is with adults, not with kids, but no. isn't that the truth with <laughs> yeah. many of these issues? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what, what's something that we haven't hit on that maybe I don't even know to ask you about perhaps, but something that people just don't know about you know, testicular cancer, the challenges of uh, bringing attention to it, and um, ultimately, um, you know, preventing and curing. Well, I, you know, I think the biggest thing with testicular cancer, and even when we go to educate, it, it shouldn't take any more than a few minutes. I mean, it, it's a disease that predominantly affects young men, but can occur at any age. So you're never too young to have testicular cancer. If you find it early, uh, in early stage disease, it's almost 100% curable. At later stages is where we have increased treatment burdens and, and loss of life, unfortunately. Uh, and when that loss of life occurs, uh, unlike many cancers, it's the leading life loss cancer outside of pediatric cancer, meaning that you know, you're losing 40, 45 years of life on average for each guy that, that passes away from the disease. And that's a huge burden on families. It's a huge burden even on economically, but it's something that many people don't look at. So that's kind of one of the interesting stats on it. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And I know also the fact that, you know, again, not, not, not in totality, but that so much of testicular cancer is front loaded with relatively young people. Um, it's hard to process issues of, you know, especially for me, and we didn't really get into this and maybe there's, it's worth adding if there's any component on your mind here, but fertility, right? So you know, one of the questions you have before you go into chemotherapy and certainly before you um, have a testicle removed is, you know, what are your long-term f- fertility options? And you start thinking about things like sperm banking and all that. Those questions are really hard for, you know, a 17-year-old <laughs> to, re- to to go through that question. And it, it's hard for somebody in their 30s. It was hard for me. But, you know, d- d- processing this at different ages can be quite different. Yeah, well, and it's even difficult just from the healthcare professional standpoint. So, um, you know, making sure that offer is being given even before the orchiectomy, because there's some data showing that sperm parameters can change before and after the orchiectomy. I think, so the American Urological Association's guidelines just came out last spring, uh, which I had the privilege of reviewing uh, before publication. I think that they've done a good job uh, of trying to, to draw more attention to it as has the the nccn guidelines Uh, but it's still it's an area where it's not you should it's every single person diagnosed should be offered this Mm -hmm. yeah well mike you're doing great work it's important work and um you know we're lucky to have you here in ohio don't leave um you're not allowed to move to florida again as far as i'm concerned uh, (laughs) it's winter time i don't know (laughs) i might have to go visit well, we'll be sharing, you know, lots of information with listeners through our show notes and through our social media, and um, also 
It's worth noting, you know, that your organization uh, survives uh, and, and thrives on um, funding from, you know, through your donations. So um, if listeners can, that'd be greatly appreciated, I'm sure. And we'll also be sharing that information through the show notes. So, um, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk with us and keep up the good work. And um, I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Absolutely, Dan. Well, I really appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for listening. My many thanks to Mike for taking the time to share his story and tell us about his work. You can support the Testicular Cancer Society by visiting their website at testicularcancersociety.org, and we're also going to be linking to that in the show notes. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by me, Dan Skinner, and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show, follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio, friend us on Facebook, and check out our new website at prognosisohio.com. As always, we encourage you to reach out via email or social media with your suggestions and your feedback. As I mentioned, we'd love to hear some ideas for important issues you'd like to hear us engage with on the show, and we'd appreciate your recommending guests and possibly even connecting us to them. Either way, remember to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Thanks, folks, and be well.